Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us at Life Family Church Podcast. We exist to reach, disciple, and empower people to live in the fullness of God. If you're new to our church or want to learn more about us and what we believe, you can check us out online by simply going to lifefamilychurch.net. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Pastor sends his love. He's in the South Tampa this morning, so he'll be with us tonight. Where's Andrew? There you are. Andrew, come give us that testimony real quick about your mom's healing, sir, if you would. Thank you. Hey, everybody. So um, I, I know many of you know my mother, um, and I actually pondered on how to share this one. Um, so she's been battling this uh, really nasty infection in her lungs, uh, very, very deadly bacteria that uh, people don't get through. Um, but then she's also had this heart issue uh, with a leaky valve, low oxygen. And um, so this was a couple weeks ago. I mean, she's been de- battling this for a, you know, a couple of years now. But it was a couple of weeks ago. I went up to pastor. Uh, it was a Sunday night. And I was go- going up to ask for a prayer cloth according to James chapter 5. It says, you know, you know have an elder, you know, lay hands on a, on a cloth and anoint it with oil. So according to the word, I, you know, I wanted to act that out. Well, uh, as I came up to tell pastor about it, he was like, you know, Andrew's like, as you were sitting there, I just noticed that he's like, I, he's like, I just felt like I had this word for your mom. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Cause that's what I'm coming up for. And he's like, uh, and I just see this black mass on her lungs and it's affecting her oxygen. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm coming up for. I mean, and I was like, I was thinking it was something else, but if you're saying it's the lungs, it was like, yeah. Uh, you know, so we got an agreement, we anointed the cloth with oil and I sent it to my mom and, well, I know a lot of us have busy schedules, so I'm not going to talk about mine, but to be honest with you, I just forgot. I was like, okay, well, I sent it. It's done. You know, a week goes by. My mom goes to the lung doctor, and uh, and she sees him, and then she calls me later, and I'm talking to her, and, and she was like, I was like, so what'd they say about your lungs? And again, keep in mind, I completely forgot I sent the cloth. And she's like, yeah, she was like, uh, there's, they, they don't have anything wrong with my lungs. And I was like, What? I was like, well, that's odd. Again, like I said, it was a busy week. You know, I'm not trying to, like, discount anything, but I'm like, well, that's weird. Pastor said there was something wrong with your lungs. I was like, and he's been prophesying stuff every Sunday night, and we've seen some amazing things. Like, Mom, Pastor hasn't been wrong. Like, he's prophesying some really specific. She goes, no, they said there's nothing wrong with my lungs. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, And I was like, wait a minute, did, did you receive that prayer cloth? She goes, yeah, as soon as I got it, I rubbed it all over my chest and lungs. So praise God, yeah. not only, Amen. you know, is her lungs healed for the first time, yeah. but her oxygen is going up. I even texted her first thing this morning about this. I was like, how's your oxygen? She said it's a lot better. And she even sounds better. She's acting better. And she has skin her energy back. So Amen. praise God. Amen. How many years has your mom been standing for that healing? Oof, probably, let's see. It's That started... Um, Six years ago? Yeah, I thought it was that long. Yeah, six about six, years. seven years ago, Standing yeah. Standing further healing on that, so amen. 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 God's good. Thank yeah. you, sir. Thank you. All right, uh, Cindy, where are you at? Come on up. Good morning. Welcome to the house of God this morning, amen? Is it good to be in church this morning? Amen. Did you come expecting? Pull on heaven this morning. 
All right, so I want to welcome our newcomers. My name is Cindy. I serve on staff here. When you came in, you should have received one of these welcome packets. Inside is an information card. If you would, please take a couple of moments and fill that out. And then stop by the Source Center on the way out because we have a free gift we'd like to give you. Um, also, uh, on Wednesday nights, we have Women's Workout Wednesdays. So this is headed up by Chrissy Bartline. And so if you need, uh, if you are interested in that, you would want to get some more information from Chrissy. Chrissy, can you stand up over there? Somebody? So um, you'll get with Chrissy. That's from 5.30 to 6.30 on Wednesday nights. We also have Martial Arts from 7 to 8 o'clock. This is something that our pastor teaches. He's certified to teach it, and he offers it for free. My goodness, from 7 to 8 o'clock. So you know what? Talk to pastor about it. Bring a friend. I think there's a liability form you have to sign and everything. But take advantage of that. That is, that is awesome. Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Saturday at 1045, we have soul winning. So we have an opportunity. We take a team out every Saturday morning into the streets of Plant City. We knock on doors. And we share the good news of Jesus Christ. So light comes to the darkness. So those that are sitting in darkness, they get to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Never, ever underestimate the power of sharing the gospel with others. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, I don't remember who it was, but they said that they had shared the gospel with a lady, and she never heard about Jesus. Now, especially in today's culture, that is very, very possible. You know, they've taken God out of the schools, so um, never underestimate the, par- the power of sharing the good news with others. Um, our connect groups are going to start back again in April. Um, the doors open at 6 o'clock, so what you'll want to do is um, bring a dish, um, and we share food with each other. We also share what God is doing in and through our lives. It's a great way to connect with each other. I love connect groups. Um, we get to know one another, hear each other's testimonies, pray for each other. It's, it's awesome. So they start back again in April. And then April 6th, we are going to be having Awaken Lakeland. And our pastor is going to be preaching on this night. We are believing for revival. So come and support pastor and let's bring our faith. Let's be praying ahead of time because prayer is what lays the tracks for these things. And if we really do care, then we're going to spend some time in prayer. If we really want to see revival, then we're going to go into the throne room and we're going to be asking the Lord for revival. Amen? Amen. Amen. And let's go and support our pastor. The details about that will be in your email connection. Check your email for the details. Also, on April 15th, we're going to be having a tent revival right here in Plant City. We're going to be um, partnering with Pastor Epps Church. So, again, um, check your email connection for details on that. And then Saturday, April 20th, we are going to be having our annual outreach. I love this event that we do, and I love it that our pastors care enough to honor the Lord Jesus Christ on Resurrection Sunday with reaching the lost in our community with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that others can be saved. 
Amen. 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 Did you see over 150 salvations? That's the Easter outreach that we did at the Plant City Stadium. And um, so we are expecting hundreds of people this year. So that's hundreds of people who have the opportunity to hear the good news and to not have to go to hell. Amen. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> that's a big deal. So the sign up... Um, this clipboard right here is going to be in the Source Center. So as you can see, we still have plenty of opportunities for you. So please stop by the Source Center afterwards and plug your name in here somewhere. If you have any questions, you can see one of us. We'll be happy to help you with that. Also, we need donations for the Easter outreach. We'd like to give away two bikes. Oh, my goodness. That is one of my favorite parts of these outreaches is to see the faces of those children when they win the bike. It's just so awesome. And, um, you know, some of them are really bringing their faith to win that bike. Yeah. <laughs> so we need two bikes, and they need to be gender neutral, please. Um, and then we also need two Easter baskets. So um, if you would, please uh, prayerfully consider that. And it's amazing. The Lord always provides it every year, every year. Also, um, it's a great time to reach out to the local businesses and go and visit them and say, hey, we're having a community event on April 20th, and we'd like to know if you would like to contribute. We will mention your business. We're, we're, we're expecting over, you know, 200 people here. It's a great opportunity to get your name out. And um, people always say yes to that. They always say yes. So please take some time. If you are a business owner, if, if you would like to contribute something, maybe uh, you work in a spa and like to contribute some um, services for a free haircut or something like that, um, please uh, see one of us uh, and let's get those gift cards. Also, places like Publix and things like that. Just some gift. We just want to love on the community. Amen? Amen. We just want to love on them. So, um, and then September 13th through the 15th, our pastor, along with Pastor Todd DeLay, is hosting a men's fishing trip in Texas. Oh my goodness. You guys get to get away. You get to hang out together and you get to fish in Texas. It is going to be awesome. Um, the sign-up sheets are in the source center. There is a hundred dollar deposit required at the time of sign-up. So please don't waste any time. Go ahead and get signed up for this. This is going to be amazing. Men, you don't want to miss this. It's a great opportunity. Um, to have some time to connect with each other. Uh, we do not do bulletins here. We do the email connection. So if you're not on the email connection, see one of us afterwards and we'll get you connected. Um, also, you can check our Facebook ministry pages and our website, which is lifefamilychurch.net, for any and all upcoming events. Are you all ready for the word? Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we do look forward to Easter. You know, I was in Walmart the other day, which is, as you all know, a place I do try to avoid. But um, I was looking at the bikes because what I wanted to do is buy everything now and just cut you out. Uh, <laughs> I have to restrain myself because it's on the shelf. And so I was like, okay, I said gender neutral on the bikes, but that doesn't mean it can't have the guy's bar. I just meant color. Does that make sense? Like, let's don't do a pink bike. So like a color that would work for a guy or a girl, but whether it's a bar or no bar, that is okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Okay, they had so much great stuff. I wanted to, to grab it. Hey, do you guys know we have a drama team here? So if you're on the Ministry of Service team already and you want to join uh, the drama team, we want you to not save the drama for your mama, okay? So uh, wave Lexi, see Miss Lexi if you would like to sign up or audition for that team. Like, uh, did y'all notice on the Easter video that there was a drama? one on the platform. Okay, what we do is we do dramas, not just overseas, but when we have our, our outreaches, you'll be seeing some of those dramas. Sometimes the drama uh, leads them to the Lord before anybody ever gives a salvation message. So that's what we call, those are visual arts. And so those messages that we do through drama are very um, helpful and very necessary and very esteemed by us for communicating the gospel. Amen. So whether we do it in song or we do it in a drama or we do it in word, um, we're going to get it out there. Amen. Well, let's uh, re- get ready to receive our morning's offering and go with me to Matthew 6.33. I know you know that scripture well, well-beloved scripture. We'll just take a fresh look at it. Amen. So Matthew 6.33, let's bump up to verse uh, 27. It says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature. Or the Amplified says, who of you by worrying and being anxious can add one unit of measure to his life? So notice that it says, who of you by taking thought? That means every thought that comes to you, you didn't take. You have to take, take a thought. So lots of th- opportunities for thoughts come. And, and many of them, your own mind, your own brain will generate them to you. Um, but there's a difference between a thought coming and you taking it. And so Satan offers many thoughts. The Bible calls those darts. And I'm a bit loud or echoey or something, and one of me is more than sufficient. Uh, so help these precious people out. Um, Satan can offer us thoughts. Your own mind can offer you thoughts. But uh, if that thought does not line up with the word, or Philippians 4, specifically there's a list, then you don't have to take the thought. So this verse says already that which of you by taking a thought to worry, so that that lets us know worry is not a thought you want to take. Worry is one of those that's not on the list of Philippians 4, you want to cast it down. People are like, well, I'm not worried about it. We, we have changed a lot of scriptural words into politically correct script Christian lingo. Can you guess what the new word for worry is? I'm just concerned. Yeah. You, just because you, you gave it what you thought was a synonym, I mean, uh, you know, or not, it's a synonym. If you're thinking about it, you're worrying. If you're touching it in your thought life, you're worrying. So every time the thought comes, if you touch it, which means you take it, hmm, That means I took it instead of casting it down or rejecting it. And so it tells you right here in this verse, what is the method for thought rejection? I'll just think think it away. I'll just think of something else. Scarlett O'Hara. I'll think about that tomorrow. The method for rejecting an inappropriate thought is what? Take no thought saying. Means the only way to get rid of a thought that you didn't want to have, that didn't line up with the word, that wasn't going to be a blessing to you, you were going to have to open your mouth and answer it. Because if you try to think it away and go, I'll just think on something else, that's called the battlefield of the mind. That's Satan's arena. That's where you get your backside kicked. But if you open your mouth and you speak God's word and say, that's not my thought. I'm not taking my thought. I am not going to worry. I'll be anxious for nothing like the Bible says. Now I've answered it. The spoken word takes it into the faith arena where I always win and he loses. 
Yeah, real simple. How long does that take? New York second or Plant City second, which is longer. Okay, so uh, in other words, if you're going to take a thought, is it going to add a measure, a cubit, a stature? That means a length of time to your life. Actually, any thought of worry will steal from your life. So just get out your pencil eraser and start moving backwards from the timeline. Oh, I thought you were going to live. Your confession was lived 120. No, you're not if you're a worrier. So just start erasing. So any thought you take that's worry or concern about anything in your life is removing minutes and removing hours and removing days and removing weeks. Because we don't just want to live long. We want to live strong. Yes? Okay, so you can't add any, any length of time by worrying. And why are you concerned about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God is going to clothe the grass and the field, and, and tomorrow it's going to be cut down and cast to be burned, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Then verse 31 says, therefore, take no thought again, saying. So he repeats this again. You know, if you uh, face off with your, your thoughts, you won't have to face your actions. It's when we don't stop our thoughts that they come out our mouth and our actions follow. And what we want to do is we forget God's method of dealing with uh, actions and feelings and thoughts and behaviors. And we take on the world and we do this behavior modification. And we have an action and we say, oh, bad action. And we try to correct behavior with a bunch of don'ts. But if we would have stopped it at the thought, which is an internal process, it goes from the, the, the mind to the mouth and then out our actions. So if you don't like your actions, behavior modification and not doing the action won't cure you, will it? That's an example of our prison system and how wonderful that works. <laughs> Outward behavior modification, even by a Christian for his own behavior, is not the authorized method of God for changing behavior. That's why it's important for you not to go around policing everybody else's mouth, just your own. Because out of the heart, the mouth's talking. So you can't correct somebody's mouth for them, and of course, unless it's your child. Which you need to do that, or somebody else's child or your grandchild. But uh, you, you have to correct what's on the inside of the heart, and we don't remove wrong things from our heart. We put God's good stuff in. And when enough of his good stuff is in, there's not room for your junk. So if you have a sofa that's fallen apart and you call uh, rooms to go and you buy a new sofa and you get it delivered, how many of you, when the truck from rooms to go backs up in your driveway, you go, hey, come on, bring that all in. I'm just going to move this other sofa over. We're going to keep it and put it in the corner, but we're going to put our new one here. Y'all keep your old junky sofa right alongside the new one, right? Now, there's only room for one couch. So you got the new sofa in. You were like, wait, but before you bring that in, you guys got to come in here and you got to get this junk out because there's only room for one sofa. And we've decided to keep the new one, not the old one. So when you just put God's word in, it's a law of displacia. It's going to move your junk out. So don't worry about the junk in your trunk. Put, the, put God's word in, and uh, there just will only be room for one. Eventually, it'll move out. And so you'll start hearing yourself say different things, or you'll start thinking different things, and the right things will come out your mouth. So where, where were we there? Take no thought saying, verse 32, for after these things do the Gentiles seek. In other words, those of you that are not saved are seeking after these things. 
what? The food, the clothing, the raiment, all the things you're concerned about. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That word added in the Greek means joined in place to you. That means God needs to be able to find me in the right place to bring that stuff to me. Now, I, can, I have a free will. We can do this one of two ways. I can go out and I can try to find, seek after peace, seek after relationships, seek after a better job, work really hard. You can, by the sweat of your brow, you can obtain it. It rains on the just and the unjust alike, yes? And you can obtain, I'll go work for clothes, I'll go work for food. I will work by my own might and power and bring these things to me. All these things, there, how many things would be on the list of things you want? The latest technology, the iPhone, the iWatch, the iPad, the new TV. You, you want to have new clothing, a new purse, a new car. That's a long list of things that you're going to want to obtain and bring to you in your lifetime. That's going to be a lot of hard work. And you're going to spend all of your life doing it. Or, <laughs> aren't you glad God always gives us an or? Easy way, hard way. That was the hard way, if you weren't sure. The easy way, one thing on the list, the kingdom of God. Yeah. Seek for his kingdom, his ways and doing right. All I had to seek, one thing. And he would add to me in that place, in that place of seeking the kingdom of God. Don't got to seek any of that other stuff. He would bring it to me. I don't know about you, but I like simple. I like quick and easy. So I'm going to seek that one thing and everything will be added to me. What you do first every day is your kingdom. What you seek first every day is your kingdom. So if we say, well, we seek first the kingdom of God, but you didn't get around to even talking to God or reading your Bible and praying. No, that's, that's not your seeker firster. But you know what? Now, now after this morning, we can go, wait a minute. Yeah, what I seek first is my kingdom. I'm going to make sure that's the kingdom of God. You are, you are authorized to control your life. You're in full control of your schedule. Your boss, nobody else is in control. You are fully authorized to control every minute of every day what you do and what you don't do. So we can, we can make sure that we're seeking first the kingdom of God. Because I don't know about you, but I'd like God to just add that stuff. And you know what? Um, how many of you have somebody in your life, maybe it's a mom, it's a dad, it's a grandma, it's a grandpa, that, that's just better to you than you are to you? When I'm out shopping, I always, it takes me forever. I don't find anything because I just, ugh, I don't like shopping. Um, and then I, I don't want to spend money on myself. I love to spend money on, you know, my guys, they're easy. Besides, they don't have to try anything on. Everything's just stacked up, and you're just like, okay, one of those, we'll take all six, you know, one in each color. <laughs> I would like to be able to shop that way. And so when my husband's with me, when he goes shopping with me, he's better to me than I am to me. He'll be like, you tried on three dresses, and you're only getting one? He's like, no, 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 go get those. She's taking all three. Because part of it, he's good to me, but he didn't enjoy the whole process. He'd be like, you, you, three of those I liked, you're taking all three. Because <laughs> he didn't want to go back there and, and sit there again. So uh, generally, God's going to be better to you than you are to you. Whatever you think that, that you want that's so great, Jesus said, exceedingly abundantly above what you thought or asked of. That means God has got better thoughts than you. And some of us got high thoughts, right? Because I like Louie. Yeah. So God's like, I know what's better than Louie. I'm like, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. 
<laughs> and see it. So in other words, seek the first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, not, not some of these things, all these things will be added to you in that place. I don't have to find it. I just need to be in the right place and it's all coming to me. It's part of the race. Amen. But no, notice something, we generally don't uh, go down another verse, so I just want to real quick drop down the next two verses. Verse 34, take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the, mor- the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. In other words, tomorrow has got enough sufficient things that you'll face off tomorrow. But verse 7, I mean, chapter 7, verse 1, uh, I find it interesting that this is co-joined. You remember when, the, when they were writing these letters, uh, Matthew was writing this, he didn't write it in chapters and verses. <laughs> so this is one complete thought with Matthew, so there's a big connection here. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others, so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourself. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged and criticized and condemned. In accordance with the measure you use to deal it out to others, it'll be dealt out to you again. In other words, so what, why was he co-joining that? Why was it Matthew's one thought? Hey, all these things, seek first the kingdom, they'll be added to you. What was he saying? There is a forfeiture that you can have. And so you, not only can you not seek after the things, then God will have to add them to you. But even in that place, don't get in that place and be judgmental. Everybody else, you're not in your right place. Yeah. Minding everybody else's business. So don't step out of that and be judgmental of people around you because then that's the forfeiture. So what he was, God was doing is try to hem you in on the front. Don't go this way, but don't go that way either. Stay in the place that I have for you. Eyes on the prize. Mind your business. It's the Nunya Clause. None your business. <laughs> All right. With that, let's seek first the kingdom with our tithes and offerings. Let me pray over that. Father, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity even in our finances, that we can seek first the kingdom. Father, each week as we receive remuneration from our jobs and our businesses, that the very first check we're excited to write is that of tithes and offerings, that we would seek you first in the kingdom finances, that all the finances we need, all the money our family needs, all the money the ministry needs, all the supply that our businesses and our jobs need comes because we seek first your kingdom in finances. In Jesus' name. Amen. Quite repetitiously from from beginning to end, whether this is a faith walk or this is a race. So there's a way that um, you need to run. In other words, there's a right way to run and there's a wrong way to run. I remember when I really wanted to begin to run a bit more serious. I felt like I had never really succeeded at that. Even though I played lots of sports, I would always get a cramp. And so I was in my 20s and I was uh, working for the engineer as his assistant over at Have a Tampa Cigar Factory. And I had a, a Runner's World magazine I had picked up. I thought, well, obviously first, we didn't have Google back then, you guys, okay? <laughs> so to actually buy things with paper and read printed words on pages, yeah. And, uh, and so I was reading through this, trying to learn, you know, how is it that there must be something I'm missing? And uh, he noticed that on my desk, and he began to talk to me about that. What I didn't know is that he was quite the proficient runner. He would run from Tampa to Clearwater. Okay, that's like 30 miles, not in training for a marathon. And, and, and he was Armando Garcia. He was about 60. So he's in fantastic shape. And so he began to talk to me about my interests. And I said, I have this problem. I, I always have a cramp. So he said, you're not breathing right. So no one had ever taught me. But of course, I, I hadn't asked because sometimes you don't know the right question. And he taught me how to breathe, which is exactly opposite naturally of how I was breathing. And so on my lunch hour, I would go practice and um, 
So that my time there with him, he taught me how to run. So obviously there's a right way to run and there's a, a wrong way to run. And many people in the race of life, uh, many Christians would say, I, I'm just want to finish. If I scratch, claw, you know, through the grass and the mud and the dirt, I'll just be happy to cross the finish line. But that's not the instruction of the word of God to just cross the finish line in, in, any, in any type of state, you know, half passed out or look like you got run over by, you know, a herd of water buffalo. Um, so not only does God speak much to us on finishing the way we finish, but also the way that we're running. From, from the moment our foot touches the race course, which would be salvation, yes? And so how to run, which I would say is mostly devoid in most Christians' life, not judgmentally, just observationally, joy. If you're not running with joy, we're not running properly. And so some people start out with joy. Now, when we all got saved, we were joyful. If for no other reason, then we were pretty sure or at least hopeful that we weren't going to burn in hell, even though we know we deserved it. <laughs> and so uh, when you got saved, Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit came to you, the nine fruit of the Spirit. So your spirit man was instantly recreated, and all nine fruit were deposited in there. Now, what you did with that fruit became fruity or let it rot or did nothing with it, uh, it, it was up to you. But you, you were, to, you were give, given nine fruit to steward. In my yard, I wanted to plant uh, recently a, a, a lemon tree or a citrus tree, you know, a small one, a dwarf one. If there's, any, if there's not, I made that up. So, I mean, I just decide what should be there. And uh, Sherry, who's Better Homes and Gardens, um, says that's not a good idea because it's going to have – um, pests and diseases. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Because anything in my yard, only the strong survive. It needs to be self-sufficient. I don't, you better believe God for water. Believe God for sun. It's all you. My job is to buy you, put you in the ground. What you do with yourself after that is up to you. <laughs> However, I, I know that's not the case with my spirit, man. But um, I like pretty plants, but I, I don't know how to take care of them. And one time I decided that I order a rose bush from Jackson and Perkins, who at that time was supposed to be the number one rose bush company in the world and they guaranteed it. I thought, so this is the right thing to do. I'll have a warranty on the rose bush. So I ordered the rose bush because they guaranteed <laughs> how they're going to guarantee that you're not going to kill something. I don't know, but I kill, can kill a silk plant. Notice we don't have any in the building. Um, so I ordered this and it has a book. Now I read directions. And so I read the manual front to back and it lists any type of uh, pests or diseases, you know, pictures. It can have this, this, and if it has this. Uh, so I follow the exact directions, at least I thought I did, to a T, plant this rose bush and be like, okay, this is going to be good. That rose bush had every disease listed in that book at the same time. <laughs> so it went in the trash and I never tried again. However, I've been married 33 years and I have two rose bushes because Sherry waited to be planted this week. So uh, I will, but I have learned now I can go out there and I may not have, I may forget to water them like I did this morning. Um, but I can go, go over there and I can pet those leaves. Like I won't pet people. Hey now, darling, grow. <laughs> it's subatomic particles, right? I've taught you. So I will speak to them. Hey, I'm away. Oh, sorry about, sorry about the water, but you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as I'm driving away, you know, may the Lord take a liking to you. So there's a, it matters how you run. Christian, come here for a second. I'm going to, I already warned him that I was going to pick on him a lot. So Christian uh, likes to run in, in the natural. He likes to run too. So let's say Christian and I decide we're going to go with some people. We're going to enter a race 
over on Clearwater Beach, and he's like, yeah, I'll be there, and we'll be there. And, and I show up in my running gear, and Christian shows up looking like this. Where's your running clothes? And so now, Christian, this is an awesome outfit, and this is super for today for church because we honor God with our best, so we wore that, or if you were going to the Philharmonic Orchestra, um, the Nutcracker Ballet, taking your wife to dinner, that is the appropriate garment for a great many activities. However, uh, were you planning on actually running in that outfit? Yeah, and so what if Christians showed up to run our little half marathon in this outfit? Would that be the appropriate running attire for him to succeed? Now, he's very strong. He's a man. He probably could get a little bit of a distance. But even at some point, (laughs) Christian is probably going to have heat stroke, okay? And he's not going to make it. So even though he can outrun me, speed and distance, I'll be standing and he won't come the finish line because he's going to have heat stroke. And so what should he be wearing to run? He should, first of all, have a a good pair of running sneakers on. You don't need a lot to run, but you need base equipment, you know, a pair of shorts, usually not jeans, and again, you know, a little T-shirt. And so he'd be, you can go sit down real quick. And so he would need to have proper, so the, even in the natural, uh, you, would you need proper attire for, for running? If you want to partially, at least partially succeed it or not have a difficult time or enjoy it or not drop dead or something. Yeah, so in the, in the spiritual things, remember there are mirrors, so there's a way to run. There's also garments spiritually to run, and there's a way not to run. So it matters how you run. No matter what's happened to you in your life, or no matter what you think has not happened for you yet, you're obligated to run your race with joy. Because it's a privilege and an honor that we would have even been given the breath of life that God breathed into our spirit man and shot us into our mother's body and said, I've picked you to go ahead at this time and have life. So to honor that and to esteem it properly, we want to run the way God, God said to. So it doesn't matter what's happened to us. So there's, none of us can opt out and say, I have a horrible childhood or I had a horrible marriage or I'm uh, incapacitated in some way, whether mentally or physically. So we can't say, well, I don't have to have joy because there's just nothing joyful about my life. Or what we think, well, nothing's been done for me. I've had it hard. You know, now I wasn't educated. In other words, there isn't anything that we can dismiss ourselves from that says we should not be running our race with joy because joy is not a feeling. Joy got deposited as one of the nine fruits that God gave you. So for anybody to say, I don't have joy, is to tell God he lied. And say, God, oh, I'm sorry, you gave me eight instead of nine. Because joy was planted on the inside of that. But he expected us to steward that. He expected us to water it, to grow it, to fertilize it. And he said, the parable of the talents, when I come back, I'm going to ask you for an account. How many lemons are on the tree or how many, some of you will just have lemons and others will have lemon groves, groves of lemon trees because you did something with that. So none of us are in a position that we can dismiss ourselves from the way God's asked us to run. Amen. So finishing cannot be our only goal. Not only do we need to finish, finish well, but we need to pay attention to how we're running, that we're running properly according to scripture. Amen. So uh, we, we've got the joy in there. We have to continue with it. Um, remember those who have gone on before you. How many of you have somebody that, that maybe you love or related to that's moved to heaven ahead of you? Uh, if you live long enough, almost, almost all of you. And even if you don't know somebody personally, maybe you know uh, some of the, the 
mothers and fathers in the faith, or Roberts, or Brother Hagen, or Smith Wigglesworth, or Maria Worth Edder. We could say these faith giants, or just anybody in the Bible. They've gone on before you. Hebrews says they're part of this great cloud of witnesses. Let's look at that. Go, go in, your, in your weapons manual to Hebrews 12.1. One of the reasons that God needs us to run our race properly with joy is because people are watching. Hebrews 12.1 says, there, says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded or encompassed by a great cloud of witnesses. So this is what that means. Come here, Lexi and Andrew and Christian. Come here, Jason, sir, may I borrow you? Okay, turn your back to me and, and circle around me. All of you space out and circle around me. Make a complete circle. So most of us look at that scripture and go, just stay right there. There's a balcony of heaven. They're overlooking all the earth, and it's one position. But that's not what the Bible says. There's not a great balcony in heaven where all of heaven is looking. Actually, it says that all of heaven is, turn around and face me, is completely encompassing and surrounding me. So they're up there, all of them looking down. Thank you. On your race. A great cloud of witnesses. It says those that bore witness of the truth. Remember, truth is a person. It's a him. So they're all watching. Now, people often say, you know, uh, Hallmark or TV or whatever, people believe that people in heaven, you know, know what dress you have on today or, you know, you just picked a flower. They're not aware of those things, but the Bible says they're aware of spiritual things. And my mother moved to heaven uh, much too early. She was only 53 in uh, 1996. And I have been acutely aware of, of when my mother would be part of that great, great cloud of witnesses. So obviously what I watched on Netflix last night, she was not privy to. But the lady I stopped and prayed for in the island Publix last week, she was watching. It matters to us, all the people. The whole reason that most of my family is saved is because my mother prayed them into heaven. Yeah, and, 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 pro, and not that my, my dad wasn't, but my mom prayed for a lot of the family, even the family that rejected her and said they didn't want to hear about Jesus. She had the opportunity to lead those people, even in our family, to the Lord before she moved to heaven. So we have to be acutely aware uh, that not only everybody that's, that you're doing life with is watching your race. Um, not that you run it perfectly, but the method with which you run it. But so is the great cloud of witnesses. And should they not have much cause for rejoicing in my life? Yeah, because did they not make things easier for us? It's just part of living a life of honor. We're going to have these great conversations when I get to heaven. One of the things when my mom uh, moved to heaven is uh, that I became acutely aware of some spiritual principles. We would do nursing home ministry a lot. And I had grandparents in name only, but not grandparents that were interested in, in being grandparents. So I've always had just a, a fond affection for uh, people that grand, my, were ages of my grandparents. So we would do nursing home ministry, and I would meet these amazing men and women, you know, 80s and 90s that had lived in, in the era that uh, they would do extraordinary things. And I met uh, one time this lady, she was in her 80s. She had outlived her whole family and just listening to their story. She was a, a Methodist minister and had built physically by hand with bricks, churches, plural. 
and to just look at her sitting there and hear these stories and go, where's the person writing the chicken soup for the soul book on all these nursing homes? Oh my gosh. And so uh, tell me about that. And so I would go from nursing home to nursing home and place to place. And I said, would you do me a favor? So let's just call her Miss Sally. Because Miss Sally said, I'm going home to be with Jesus soon. And, and she was happy about that. She was okay with that. I said, I need you to do me a favor. I said, and I ask every one of you that's going home to Jesus, uh, you say hi to my mom for me. Yeah, because the Bible says that you know as you are known. So I said, you and me, Miss Sally, we know each other now. Now, as soon as you get there, you go tell my mama every, everything that's going on. Yeah, and so, I, so here's what some people, they're like, well, I don't know about that. Well, it's in the Word. The first moment I get to heaven, my mama's going to say to me, got all your messages. Yeah, what are y'all going to do when you get there first? I mean, besides, we got to take a little walk to the throne, right? But on the walk to the throne, she can tell me about all the messages she got. So we want to pay attention. This is not in, in here, this verse for nothing. So it says, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight. So Christians' clothing had a lot of unnecessary encumbrances, didn't it? Great set of clothing, nothing wrong with the clothes, but stand up for a second. Would those clothes aid him in a race? So even though they're good clothes, not sinful clothes, not wrong clothes, good clothes, if he's going to run his best race, his fastest race, is he going to need to strip off some of those? Yeah. So you might have things in your life, thank you, sir, that are good But at this point in the race in 2019, some of those good things have to be stripped off and thrown aside because they're not aiding you in your race anymore. The question should not be for us in 2019, well, should I sin or should I not sin? Or what is sin or not? It should be now, sin is so far behind us. We're just pressing on for the prize. My only question today is, is this going to help me run my race or not? That's why I can't run anybody else's race and they can't run mine. I don't eat Twinkies, not because they're sinful. Nothing that good can be sinful. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, They don't aid me running my race. It's really hard to run your race when you got about 20 extra Twinkies stuffed everywhere. So there's things that maybe you need to look at your life that way and go, Lord, is this helping me run my race? And so you're going to need to cast those things off because anything that's not helping you, or how about this, anything that's not accelerating you, so maybe you've even moved past an experience hurting and go, yeah, I'm e- it's easy for me to just knock, out, knock it off. It's not helping me. But then this is your question if you're that mature. Is this accelerating me? Because if it's not causing acceleration at this point, it's one of the things that we need to strip off and lay it aside. That means don't go back and get it. When you're on the race course and you, and you have to layer up in the morning and it's cold outside, you hopefully have gone to Goodwill uh, or wherever or got some old stuff you saved up and you got on an old sweatshirt, an old pair of gloves, an old square sweatpants because on that race course, when you strip those garments off throughout the first mile or two as your body heats up, you threw them on the side. You're never going to see them again. You're not going back for them and nobody's picking them up for you to bring them to you. So they needed to be trashable. There needs to be nothing so dear to you because you're like, well, I worked really hard for that. I, I had to work 10 years for that. I had to go to college and pay 25 grand for that. There can be nothing so dear to you that you can't cast it aside and let the, the people clean it up in the, after the race and throw it in the trash can and burn it. Because Paul said, I count not my life as valuable. 
And he had a double PhD, and he said it's poop on the wall. Dung. Because we, we frame that stuff and hang it on the wall. I'm not diminishing education. You all know that I'm high, highly, highly esteeming and honoring of education. It's important. But it's not more important than the gospel. Okay. It can aid the gospel greatly, but it, doesn't tr- it, it is not a substitute for wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the word. Throw aside every encumbrance or unnecessary weight and sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to us and entangles us. And let us run, here's another thing you're to run with, patience, endurance, and steady an active persistence, the appointed course of the race that is set before you. Can you run, according to the scripture, somebody else's race course? Can you be jogging and go? Their path over there looks a little bit easier. What am I doing over here? Let me just. Yeah, before you know it, you're off course. And nothing's going right. So it says the course that is set before you, not the course that is set before somebody else. You have a course that God has set you on that you have to run. They can't run yours and you can't run theirs. You're encompassed with running buddies, which means you can have a good time. But if you're actually running properly, you can't talk. (laughs) People that are talking while they're working out, they're not working out. The machine may be going and the numbers may be clicking, but they're not doing it right. You should not have enough oxygen to have a conversation at that moment. (laughs) And so verse 2 says, looking away from all that will distract us to Jesus. So there was a place we were to even look. So all of a sudden we're, we're running, number one, with joy. We were to keep that joy of our salvation and not let it go, not let it get beat out of us too much heat or whatever uh, through the race of life. And then we were to be running patiently. And then we were to be looking at something. But most of us are constantly looking away to distractions. Oh, look at their shoes. Or, oh, man, we're, we're we're actually looking away. And it says, looking away from the distractions and keeping your eyes on the prize. There's nothing worse than you're racing, by forgetting of what's ahead. Because uh, racing is a running period. I don't care what they say. I think they say 50% psychological. I say 80. Yeah, it's 80% psychological. It is truly mind, mind over a body connection. But you have to constantly focus on what's ahead of you. Even when you can't see it, you have to tell your faith sees what the natural eye cannot. It's there, the finish line, the prize, because he said it is. It's him. It's in front of me. I don't, I don't care if it feels like I'm in the middle of the Arizona desert and I've already went up 500 hills and down another 500 and I lose 25% quad strength on the downhill run rather than the uphill run. So that's even worse than going uphill. It's there because he said it's there. But you know what? At this point, if you're in tune to heaven, you can actually feel it now. You can feel that you are rounding the fourth quarter. We can feel it. And you can hear the people at the end of the race cheering you on. It's a sound. It's a feeling. And it, 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 causes, a, it causes a bubbling, an excitement in your spirit, man, that you can't explain any other way. It's coming. You're right on the fourth quarter where you're actually going to physically see that finish line. Looking away from everything that distracts you, look to Jesus, who's the leader and source of your faith. In other words, the source of supply for your life is Jesus. So if we're to finish our race, we're going to have to lay aside some weight. So Christian, come up here and uh, 
do something for me. Just take a quick little zippy lap around as fast as you can. It, that safety will allow, yes. <laughs> no scuffs on the walls. Okay. So, like I said, he was really fast. Okay, awesome. Now, what if I ask Christian to run with all the weights that we ask ourselves to run with? So, what might be some of the weights that you're running? This is James's, and thank you, James. I don't know how anybody bowled with this because it doesn't have the weight. It's probably somewhere, but I don't want to guess. Um, thank you, gentlemen. These guys and just always let me borrow weapons and sports equipment. For my, <laughs> I'm always borrowing stuff from the men. Um, here's some weights, and maybe you can think of some others. So I wrote on here with a paint pen. How about the weight of grief? How about the weight of sorrow? Ooh, depression. Chunky monkey there. Broken focus. How about discouragement? Ooh, here's one. Doubt. Questionings. Bitterness. Was that a weight? Sadness. What else is on here? That's a lot of weight. Here you go. Now we do that again. I'd say his speed is diminished. Did we, could we see that, that that's diminished? So this is your everyday life. Most people are carrying this around. Yeah. (laughs) I knew I had to ask Christian because yeah, he can do it. Uh, This is, most people would say, yeah, I know I got some of that. I'm working on it. How well are you actually running? And so even if people go, well, I don't have but like 10 extra pounds to take off, pick up a ball. This is what you're walking around every day and sleeping with. So this is, it's not a, we're, we're making, we're, we're saying these are light things. These are weighing us down. Now y'all can probably think of a few more. Here's a few more weights we run our everyday life with, our race. How about confusion? Anybody run with confusion? Complaining. Woo! Sin. Now, that could probably list a few things under it, but that's, how about laziness? Anybody running with offenses? How about strife? Inconsistency. And we go, well, I'm working up to running. I, I, I got to walk, run, walk, run, walk, run. Yeah, but you've been doing that for 20 years. Yeah. Paul said that he'd never diminished his pace. So there's nowhere we need to stop and, and, and slow down and conserve our energy. How about hurt feelings? Anybody running with hurt feelings? Anybody running with lies? Maybe even you're lying to yourself. Anything else on there? Pride. Good one. Okay, thank you. There it is. Pride. Now run. I need to buy you lunch today. Okay, Okay, so hold on to those. So he did not run nearly as well, but this is what we're, this is how we're running every day in our race. We're carrying sins and weights that have easily beset us, and we're, we're fooling ourselves that we're actually running a good race. 
We're running with joy. So Paul says, or Jesus says, thank you, Christian, you could set those down, that we are not to run with these weights, these things that continually try to beset us. It says they can easily come back. You can put it down as quick as you can pick it back up. But imagine if you just had one of those you were trying to run with, how you would be impaired, much less all of them. And these are just a few that I just saw off the top. This is 18. And these are the 18 most common ones. Y'all could have all named in five minutes flat. Carrying those or little bits of those. Or we put them down and we give them to the Lord and they come right back on us. Are you going to be able to run effectively, much less in an accelerated manner, carrying that? So this is what God has told us not to run with. So if you've got any of those things in your life, you're not to have them. We're not to, you're not to go, well, I'm working on putting them down. How long did it take him to put that down? See, these are decisions. Instead of say, I'm working on it. If you need to say something, say, I'm working through that with the word and the spirit. But if you really mean that when you say that, there'll be a quick evidence that you're through it to the other side because you went through that valley. Now, there'll be another one later on, but you went through that. And so this, this is a decision to put those things down. So we must refuse to try, to try and keep carrying those in our race. Amen. So what do we want to run with? So Christian, come here and take your jacket off and take your vest off. So this is what you need, a proper running garment. What does that say? This is what you're supposed to run with. So slip this on over your garments so we can see what our right running garment is supposed to look like. So if we've put down all the weights that are besetting us, what we would be running every day with, obviously, joy, patience, and peace, and turn around. What else are we running with? Love, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, long-suffering, and self-control. Okay, you can sit down. So were any of these things part of the package that Jesus deposited on the inside of you when he came? Nine fruit of the Spirit. No. So you're only supposed to have the nine fruit. So if it's not on the 9, 10, 11, 12, 34, 50, it's not supposed to be there. You're not supposed to be carrying it. Because if you do, it was going to incapacitate you spiritually. So you're spiritually handicapping yourself. Satan does not have the right to give you these things. He has the right to offer them. And you have the right to refuse. And you should take the right to refuse. So... Uh, are there going to be situations daily in your life that don't offer joy? Do they need to offer joy if joy's already here? That's the confusion. People are saying, well, that doesn't offer me joy. That's called happiness. There is no joy out here. There's only joy in here. So has joy left me? If a day came to my life, and it did 10 years ago, when the worst thing, the fate worse than death phrase, I understood. And it took my knees out from under me physically, and I'm not a weak person, and I'm not given to fainting spells. I've lost my knees three times in my lifetime, and I hope I don't do that again. Where, where like you're saying in the spirit, I didn't have strength to stand up. Once was upon the death of my husband's grandmother, um, the other time was standing in front of my mom's open casket uh, when she moved to heaven. And the other time was when uh, this person in my life made a decision that was life-altering. And it was a fate worse than death. 
and my knees gave way and I fell on the back steps uh, of our house. We had two sets of stairs and I wept till those steps literally had puddles of water on them, which I didn't think was possible to weep that much. And when I could speak, I had enough air. The only thing I said is, no matter what. So even when it feels like there is no joy and there's not coming any joy, you're going to have to choose to dip into the well that's on the inside of you and say, Jesus, no matter what you said, though none go with me. And then I, then I answered the thought to Satan, that was your A-bomb because you dropped that way too soon. Now, this current situation has gone from bad to worse, and now I understand that wasn't as bad as I thought then. It's actually gotten worse. Who'd have thought that was possible? But uh, joy is a choice. It's not a feeling. And so if it's in there, whose responsibility is it to get it out? I don't know about you, but I can't wait till Sunday night. And seven days later, wait again. I need joy every moment. So I don't have to wait to get it because I already got it. It's on the inside of me, and I'm going to access it whenever I need it. So it doesn't matter. It, whatever has happened to you in your darkest moment, there's not a pit too deep that God cannot find you, and you can't lower that bucket of faith with your mouth and pull out that joy. And you may have to do that for more than one sentence. You may have to repeatedly do that so that strength returns to you. Paul tells us how God revealed to him that he would face great persecutions. Although he knew difficulties were ahead, he continued his race. Go with me to Acts 20. So there are times in our life where we know uh, rough sailing is ahead. And there's also times where we might think, wow, I didn't see that one coming. Got, Got hit on the chin and that caught you off guard. It doesn't really matter whether it caught you off guard or like Paul, he knew this one was coming. Acts 20, Paul says to them, now you see, I'm going to Jerusalem bound by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't bound physically. He was bound and obligated and compelled by the convictions in my own spirit. He said, not knowing what will befall me. In other words, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me, except the Holy Spirit has clearly and emphatically affirmed to me in city after city that imprisonment and suffering await me. So how would you like to be going about your every day, uh, going from place to place, and the Holy Ghost giving you a word through the pastor every Sunday night? Persecution's coming, affliction's coming, bondage's coming. But are we supposed to respond to that with joy? Yeah. So when was the last time the Lord let you know Hey, trial's coming, persecution's coming. In fact, he told you that, that you might be counted worthy to go through that. And you didn't go, glory! The same way when pastor's like, hey, a raise is coming. We're all like, glory! Hey, persecution's coming. Then we do this thing and go, well, I'm in sin. Am I a faith failure? What have I done wrong? Instead of saying, what did Paul do? Next verse. None of these things move me. Neither do I esteem my life dear to myself. If only, what did he say? If only I may finish my course with what? Joy. 
and the ministry I have obtained, which was entrusted to me by the Lord Jesus, faithfully to attest to the good news of the gospel. No opposition moved Paul, and any known opposition that was even coming, he refused to move. So can we refuse to leave joy on the blackest day of your life that either has come to you, or if you're going to live for a little while longer, it's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Jesus didn't say you could avoid it. He said, but let me tell you what to do when it comes. And let me tell you how to make it better and shorten it. So we quote this verse. Uh, the Bible says, uh, all things work together for good, Romans 8, 28. For those who love God. Now remember how Jesus defined love. So different than Hallmark. Yeah, uh, we're like, I love God because I f feel his love for me. Only he said, you love me if you obey. So how could we read that verse? All things that just happened to me on the worst day that I never thought was coming, that's come. And since I got a lot more life, there's more coming. Joy is still present. To me, it works for my good if I obey him. If I obey him. So in that moment of that deepest pain, worst incident, beyond what I ever could have imagined, what would be the stance of obedience? Jesus, no matter what. Because it took me about 20 minutes to get my legs to get up and walk into the living room and uh, have a conversation with myself because, see, the real me is my spirit man. The real you is your spirit man. My mind is not me. My body is not me. And my emotions are not me. So I'm going to tell my mind what it's going to think. I'm going to tell my emotions what it's going to feel. And now I'm going to tell my body what it's going to do. According to the word of God. I don't have to see it. I don't have to feel it. I don't even have to understand it. But it's going to matter. It's going to be life and death for me. It's also going to be life and death for everybody around me or, and you for what you choose to do in those moments. Whether you choose to fall out of the race and take time off and have all this recovery or all this therapy, or you say, wait a minute, joy did not leave. Circumstances change, but joy did not leave. So I'll take the bucket of faith, my mouth is the rope, and I'll lower that sucker down into the well. With joy shall you draw water out of the well of salvation. And I'm going to draw it up, and I'm going to get a drink, and I'll wash myself with the water of the word. And in 20 minutes, we can all be better. Has the circumstance changed? No. But far more importantly than the circumstance change, I decide to change what I thought and felt. Now everything has changed. Because if you wait five minutes, the circumstance will change. Maybe for the worse, but it's going to change. And you are not authorized to control any circumstance. You're only authorized to control what you think, what you say, and what you feel and what you do. Isn't that good news? That will automatically alter the entire circumstance right there, how you respond to that and choose to move forward in that. Joy equals strength. More joy, more strength. Less joy, less strength. So we think, oh, I don't, I don't feel strong. I need to get stronger. Look at your joy. It's on the inside there. Are you drawing it out or are you waiting for it to, to come through the laying on of hands? 
or you're waiting it to come through uh, going out to your favorite restaurant Friday night and watching a movie. That's not joy. That's happiness. Happens, happiness is good, but it's circumstantial. It's fleeting. And even if maybe you, you went to your favorite restaurant and there was a screaming kid in the booth next to you and they burnt your steak and you didn't even have a good time. And so your happiness, your, your anticipation of happiness has now been ruined. Yeah, even though you were in the right place at the right time. Apparently not, in the wrong seat. <laughs> yeah. So a happiness is not within your power. It's like you trying to hold water in your hand. But joy is present all the time. Nehemiah 8.10, he told them, the prophet Nehemiah, he said, go your way. In other words, on the race of life, you were to eat, to partake of the rich fatness and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. In other words, Nehemiah was uh, prophesying of the last days of the reaping of harvest. He said, look on your race, eat and drink. Don't be one of those religious zealots who says you need to do without. No, if, if you're going to run, you better have eaten good. And you better, be, you better be hydrated. You better drink good. You better eat good. You better take care of your body. And then he said, on top of that, make sure you took enough to give to people that didn't have any. So you were supposed to run your race so equipped, so well, that if you saw somebody stumbling, they could grab onto you and go, come on, I got you. You can make it. Because you weren't so weak. They go, ugh. Poor thing, can't help myself, can't help them. Because I'm just barely getting along. I'm just dragging through this thing. I just can't wait till Jesus comes. Jesus, could you just come today? You know, because I got bills to pay or something. We're not running with any joy. And then we expect the world to look at us and go, I got enough problems. <laughs> Whatever you got, it's not anything that I need because I got enough of my own problems. And you look like you are as bad or worse off than I am. And I thought this Jesus was supposed to make you happy. No, he provided happiness, but he won't make you. <laughs> God's not uh, making you do anything. And then Nehemiah goes on to say, neither be ye sorry. Don't worry. Don't give in to anger. Don't have pain. Don't be displeased and don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God has not authorized us to be people of grief and sorrow. You think, well, did, when people die, aren't we supposed to grieve and sorrow? Show me the scripture for that. It says you are to sorrow not. In the Old Testament, if you want to know the mourning period, they gave you 30 days. 30 days, and then you got up, you washed your face, you put on new clothes, and you feasted, and it was done. In the New Testament, you get 24 hours. Sorrow comes for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So somebody dies, if you need to sorrow, one night. But I would recommend you not yielding to that. We do not have to grieve. Why would we not celebrate the home going, certainly of somebody that went to heaven when Jesus himself said, for me to die is gain. And we're crying about it. Yeah, we, we might miss that person. But we have let society tell us that if we didn't express certain emotions about things, that we were wrong or weird or harsh. When all they're doing is wearing all their emotions on the sleeve. And tell me how that makes you feel better for a minute. Yeah, I remember when I was standing in front of my mother's casket. And my knees gave out just briefly. It was just a little bit overwhelming. Um, and then I had some relatives come in, and they were just trying to do the basic comforting thing. You don't have to do this. Parents and grandparents, 
slap yourself if you ever tell a child or a person they don't have to do something. You giving people a pass out of stuff is not helpful in their life. I absolutely have to do this. I have to stand here and, and do this with my mother. There are no options out of the realities of life, but it's how I stand here and do this that matters to me. Thank you for picking me up and letting me sit in the chair for 20 minutes. That was a help. I just need to catch my breath and rest. And then I have hundreds of people that came here because it was so overwhelming because the room was so full of flowers, you thought the president died. There were hundreds of people because my mom was a soul winner. And even I did not know how many people's lives she touched. And of course I needed to do that. I needed to be there and stand there and give honor to that and, 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 and help those people. And so how we respond in those moments on our race is not because we are unfeeling or uncaring. It's because I'm going to feel what Jesus told me to feel. And I'm going to care about what he told me to care about so I can keep running and then I can help others. Not so I'm the one falling down and everybody's got to stop and pick them up. Not because I had a stumble, but because I was just given to all that. That is not honorable. That would not honor my mother and the life she lived for the kingdom. Nor would that honor Jesus and all he did for me to conduct myself in that manner. Amen? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you need strength? Anybody besides me needs strength every minute of every day. I need mental strength. I need physical strength. I need emotional strength. I need strength for everything, especially in this society. Is there one moment I can just give up strength and be happy? about anything. No. So joy equals strength. If I let joy be diminished in any way or be sold, in other words, I said, let it, because it can't be unless I let it, then I have allowed strength to diminish. Now, maybe I won't suffer for that, but somebody else will. And is that fair? Is that right? To go, I'll just take some time off. I feel in a little weak. I'll just, you know, let, let joy slip a little bit, maybe 25%. You know, I can live with that. What is it costing somebody else? It's not, the question is not what it costs you. What does it cost? That's what I asked God in Haiti years ago where he corrected me from that. And he only needed to correct me one time. He said, it's not about you counting the cost. What did it cost you to come here? All this money and you got salmonella poison, you got a notch on your belt. And if you die, it's on your tombstone and you get to be, you know, a martyr like, you know, the Aka Indians. He said, because I, I said, I don't want to go back. He said, I want you to ask this question. What will it cost them if you don't go? You're laying there and you're saved. It costs you nothing to do this. But it costs them everything if you don't. So as we're running our race, we can't be so focused on, well, I'm okay. What about everybody else around you that is not okay? So are they okay with your diminished strength? No, they're not going to be okay because maybe they're behind you. And one of the prophecies Brother Copeland said, God specifically said, I need my children to grow up and become spiritually mature, stop being babies, and to help the babies. That doesn't mean the people that have been saved for 20 years and are still sucking their thumb. That meant the new babies that just got saved, everybody that's already been saved, if you got saved today and somebody gets saved tomorrow, you're not the baby no more. You're not the baby in the family. Yeah. <laughs> Grow up and help the person that's a baby. And so he, the Lord specifically, I have never heard the Lord say that. Have you? To any of us, and certainly not through prophecy. That was very strong. I need you to grow up and help the babies that are coming in. In other words, hurry up because you've had enough, more than enough time. 
So thank God we can pick up the pace. Amen. So God strengthens us by put that joy in there, but we've got to dip down. Isaiah 12, 13 says that you've got the well of salvation there. So to leave joy is to leave strength. One of the most favorite prayers I hear Christians pray, pray or just state things. My job's hard. Jesus, give me strength. We're so flippant and we're so casual about not saying the word. Why would you ever pray for strength? It's in you. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength, and you're sitting there going, Jesus, give me strength. And he's like, I already did. I even told you what it was. It's joy. I put it on the inside of you. Go in there and get it out. That's like me asking uh, my husband to uh, get me a cookie when I'm standing in the kitchen in front of the cookie jar. What's right behind you? No, I want you to get it for me. He'd probably look at me like I was a few fries short of a Happy Meal. Yeah, and so we're asking God to give us things that he's already given us, and he's asking us, would you please dip down in there and get it out? And he even told us that, hey, this is the way you do it. You're going to dip down in that well, and you're going to pull it out with your mouth, and you're going to tap into that. You don't have to wait. Thank God for how you feel it. So turn with me to 2 Timothy 1.6. Is this helping you? Yeah, because we have to run our race with joy, not looking like something the cat drug in every day. We're talking like it or acting like it. 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, wherefore I put you in remembrance. In other words, Paul's like, Timothy, hey, remember, it's your job. Stir it up, rekindle the embers, fan into flame the inner fire, which is in thee, by putting on my hands. In other words, Timothy must have forgotten momentarily that it was on the inside of him. So everything God puts in you has to be stirred up. Any of you ever made or seen, I can't say made, I can say seen a pot of chili or a pot of soup, <laughs> uh, and you went to get somebody or somebody's house, and didn't you, didn't you have to take the ladle and like stir it up? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not too big on broth, so I want the chunky stuff, the good stuff. It's all sunk to the bottom, right? So those fruit, fruit are kind of heavy. If I had a bowl of fruit here with an apple, an orange, a lemon, and whatever, and I put it in water, would fruit sink to the bottom? Okay, so you got water in the well of salvation. So the, sometimes the fruit is sitting on the bottom. It shouldn't be, but it's sitting on the bottom. So you're going to have to put, you take the little ladle that's in your possession, and you're going to have to dip down in there, and you're going to have to pull up that fruit called joy that, that's, that's on the bottom. So everything in you, you have to stir up. And Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, hello, you have the ladle. <laughs> you got the soup pot. Good stuff's all at the bottom. Take it and stir it up. So what did he tell them the stir stick was? Your mouth, that you were to stir it up. Praying in tongues stirred our faith up, right? Praising stirs it up. So that means when it feels like joy is gone, I believe that it's not because actually on the inside of me, it's not in heaven, so don't ask God for it. It's here. I have to get a stir stick called my mouth, and faith is the belief system, and say, Jesus, you know, and start worshiping. So I remember when uh, we got the call from Pastor about his accident. Now, you know Pastor, he loves jokes and he pulls practical jokes, so I wasn't sure he wasn't joking when he called me. (laughs) 
because he just walked in the door. We were in the middle of a staff meeting. We were having at the house uh, in the living room, and he had just run home uh, to get something and loaded up in that van they were in, and they weren't around the corner on Park Row when this accident happened. So I just saw him 10 minutes ago. He's called me on the cell phone from the ambulance that he's been in an accident, his leg's broken. I'm like, are you kidding? Because, you know, I got stuff to do, and, and he's, I'm like, I don't know if he's joking or not. And he's like, he's like, this is why you don't cry wolf. Because, see, I didn't believe you at first. And uh, so he has accident, but, but he only knows his leg is broken. He doesn't know what else. He thought his back was broken and his hip was broken. He wasn't sure. He was, uh, the leg was the dominant pain at that moment. But you don't know if you have a lot of internal injuries. You don't really know what's gone wrong in your body. You're just laying there. And they let him call. They were real nice about it and let him call me. And so he's on his way. And so he, they, they tell me he's going to Lakeland Regional. Well, I'm fairly new to Plant City. I don't even know where Lakeland Regional is. So I'm in the middle of a staff meeting. I've got the kids who are uh, Pastor Josh and Kate who are still living at our house at this moment. So I have, a, I have a decision to make where we all do at all those moments, those expected or unexpected moments. So I tell them, we all, all got to jump in the shower, uh, pick, pick up the phone, call my secretary, you need to make these phone calls, Google me, Lakeland Regional, text me back or whatever. But as I'm going up the stairs. So after I, I have the presence of mind, that's just my personality to kind of dictate, here's what we're going to do. I don't need smelling salts. Um, but, and so, uh, but then we're going to deal with our thoughts, aren't we? Because the thoughts are going to come. You know, what if something else is wrong or if anything happened to him, you know, what would you need to do, et cetera, et cetera. So I remember I go up the stairs and they go over to their side and I get in the shower. And when I was growing up, my daddy had eight tracks. How many of you know what an eight track is? If you don't know, you can Google it. But we had Andre Crouch on the eight track. So I start singing because the Bible says I sing out. I, the spirit man, the real me, sings out and reminds my soul. Reminds me what I'm going to feel, reminds me what I think. And just Andre Crouch comes to me a lot. How can I say thanks for the things that you have done for me? Things so undeserved that you did to prove your love to me. And I just singing to Jesus. Why? Because worship is the tool in your tool belt that quiets the mind. Tongues don't quiet the mind. Nothing quiets my worship. So I'm going to get the mind quiet. Why do I need my mind quiet? Because I need the mind of Christ. And when I get to the hospital, whatever may come, but I also know there are other people in that van. So there's going to be a room full of their relatives that, that don't know things about the word. They're going to need my strength and comfort. Although I'm his wife, those are their family members too. Sure enough, get there. They're all falling apart. So I can't be falling apart because I've got to have the joy to run my race. I've got to have clear thinking to hear from God about any decision I need to make and anything that needs to be done. But then I have a room full of people that need some assistance, that need some care, that need some strength, that need some help, that need some prayer, that need some guidance. And I can't feel physically weak either because when your emotions are out of whack or your mind, does it drain your body physically? Ain't nobody got time for that because being at the hospital is um, is an exercise in physical endurance for the best person because they don't have the best food or the best beverages and the coffee ain't so good either. And so we're not going to have anything that we're used to that's going to be good and yummy here. Okay. And we're going to be here a long time and it's going to be cold and it's going to be uncomfortable. So we're going to have a physical endurance and and a situation here. And then we're going to have, should we leave here and everything's fine, the Lord willing, uh, we're also going to have a long road of recovery and that's going to take a lot of strength. And so going up and down my flight of stairs, um, 50,000 times a day instead of 50 was also going to require a great deal of physical endurance. 
So uh, can, can we afford to allow joy to be diminished? Yeah. And it doesn't mean there weren't moments later that Satan tried to offer me thoughts. People are like, well, later, did you kind of just process the whole thing and have a good cry? What for? What would I have done that for? And they just looked at me. No, I need you to tell me what benefit I missed. Because I'll take all that emotion that could have been yielded to grief and sorrow as the world, and I'll yield it back to God, and I'll let him be the balm of Gilead. So people are like, well, you're stuffing. No, I didn't stuff it. I let it right out into the throne in praises. So you can do two things with your, th- those emotions. You can go for a good run. It helps you physically and your endorphins, and then you can worship God, and you will feel spent the only difference is I can lay on the floor and cry and use a whole box of tissues and I'll feel spent. I'll have a hard time getting up afterwards because there's no strength. But after a good run and a good praise session, it's all gone, but I'm refreshed and strength has come. You see, it's the choices. And so, no, we don't touch that later in our thought lives, even to this day. No reason to. Amen? To leave joy is to leave strength. So you're to, everything God's put in you, you're going to stir it up, Right? Everything. It's your job. So even if you feel like crying, Philippians 4.4, go with me real quick there. What does that say? Notice how Paul repeats himself (laughs) twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Notice Paul doesn't stop and go, hey, I know at some moments it might be kind of tough and maybe you won't really feel like rejoicing and maybe everybody around you can pet you and say, it's okay, you don't really have to rejoice. No, he said rejoice always. Always, and again, in case you missed it, in case I was vague or unclear, I say rejoice. And so he's, only, he's not giving me another option. He's saying everything that happens to you, you just got fired, your, your tire just got flat, you just got a really bad phone call, someone's gone home to meet Jesus or maybe is going to meet Jesus, what do we do? Rejoice, and let me repeat, rejoice. (laughs) There isn't anything else. Why? Because God wanted you to have strength immediately for whatever was at hand. How long do you do it? Till you hit oil, until literally the joy comes. How long did I have to worship God? Until I felt joyful. So you want to know, when do we get to feel these feelings? That's when. When your feelings line up with the word you can feel. Yeah. And so we rejoiced out of faith, not feeling it, not even being connected to it until I felt joy. And even at times start to laugh at the ridiculousness of the situation. Yeah. Seeing it from a God's eye view. Geez, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? Die and go to heaven. What's the worst thing that happened to pastor? Die and go to heaven. That's what he says all the time. I won't be too happy about him leaving me here with everything. But, um, hey, I'm going to rejoice for his gain, right? And then God's going to work it out for my good. So when we just adjust our viewpoint to God's point of view, then we respond with the same thoughts and feelings. And does the world call that all sorts of things? Crazy, hard, cult-like, radical, cold, harsh? Yes, but does it make it true? No. Takes one to know one, right? Yeah. James 1, 2. Go with me there. We're almost finished. You guys Okay. You know, I like you to get your money's worth. <laughs> Hang on, sugar's coming tonight. You can just tell by this message probably what the Holy Ghost will minister to us, right? Because he comes to confirm the word. And consider it holy, joyful, 
oh, there's not some things I don't have to count as joy? No, it says, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you're enveloped in or encounter trials. This doesn't say things that Satan, tempted, Satan sent to you. Sickness is not something we're rejoicing about. So if you have symptoms on your body, you're not rejoicing for the symptoms. You're, you, uh, you worship God for the position he's in, not the one you find yourself in. Because when you worship in the position he's in, that alters yours from the one you're in to the one he's in. Takes you right out of yours, which is not the best, and puts you into his. So there, uh, why did he say you would have to count it wholly joyful? Because every situation was not going to offer you joy. That phone call was not offering me joy, but I'm authorized to count it joy. It's joyful because I say it's joyful. Now I'm going to tap into the joy and I'm going to have joy. And I don't care if the doctor does think I'm nuts. Hey, whatever you got to do. It's all right. It's good. We're happy. We're at peace. We have joy. The Lord is working on our behalf, right? We can rejoice in test because Jesus is in us. Uh, let me just say this. Tests and trials will come, but Jesus didn't tell you you had to be in them for weeks, months, and years. The longest test Jesus had was 40 days, and that was Jesus. So the highway out of your test or your trial is praise, is joy. So the faster you choose, how about from the word go, you choose joy, you will be out of that test. It wasn't, we weren't in the hospital 48 hours before surgery was done. He was home and, you know, got chicken noodle soup in your own comfortable bed. So as fast as you want to move into joy is as fast as that thing ends. So guess who determines how long the test is? You, not God. He didn't send it. Not Satan. He's not the boss of you. Yeah. Tests and trials come, but Jesus didn't send them. He said they're coming. So you were authorized to decide how long they would last by your response. Or, or, or certainly uh, in your in them, uh, how you were going to feel about it. So some people say, well, I'm so buried or overcome by depression. It's hard for you to function. Uh, so if you'll do this, Isaiah 61.3 says, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm not being flippant about a spirit that you have yielded to for years that has come on your mind and even attached itself to your body. So it's not going to instantly go. But if you will every day, all day, begin to walk in it and answer that thing, it will immediately from your decision begin to lift. And that it won't be a short period of time before that's removed. When it took years to continually come on you because you allowed it to. I always say, that's why we have to take our thought captive. Because a thought, a negative depressed thought that leads to a feeling that goes into my mouth, that goes into my actions, becomes my life story. And so we're like, well, that needs to be medicated. No, that doesn't need to be medicated with medicine. That needs the medicine of the word of God to apply it on it with as much diligence and as much uh, honor and reverence as the doctor told you take it three times a day, your natural medicine that you took. Well, take this three th times a day. How about 30 times a day and, and accelerate that thing? And it'll lift off of you. So even if you feel that oppression, that depression trying to come on you, it's the same method. It may take you a couple extra hours. Maybe it's not 20 minutes. Maybe it's 20 hours or maybe it's 20 days. Uh, it still will completely lift and go because it doesn't have a right to stay once you tell it to. But what, what, why the, sometimes it takes a little longer if something's like that is because you've allowed it for years and years and years thinking that this was normal or that we're not even paying attention to it. So it may take a little time for that thing and it's worth the effort.
Not everything is instantaneous. A miracle sometimes can be instantaneous. Uh, A healing is a progression, amen? But not years. You're like, well, I've been working on that for years or God's, no, 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 I don't mean, I'm not talking years. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking maybe not 20 minutes, maybe 20 hours, maybe not 20 hours, 20 days, but I didn't say anything past 40 days. Not years of something. Healing is healing. uh, Is Jesus the healer? Is he live here? Then healing is resident. It's abiding. It's now. So there are things that, that healing has to be allowed to work on or work through with a little bit of time, the same way the, the medicine might say, take three times a day for 10 days. Yeah. And then it begin to lift, but it's still now. It's not, oh, years later, we're still, you know, waiting for the manifestation of something. Isn't, then we want to find out what it is that that's blocking that. Amen. So it says it's a garment, like, come here, Christian. Did he put on a proper running garment. The Bible says in Isaiah, the garment of praise is put on for the spirit of heaviness. That means you might have taken it off and put it in the wash, hung in the closet because you weren't running. So you got to get that garment. If that spirit of heaviness comes on you at any moment, you're to stop and go to the closet and get the garment, the same garment all the time. And so by, by that, you're saying, I need to go get that garment on. What does that mean? <sighs> Take that ladle, dip down in that nice pot of beef stew and get the good chunks on the bottom, the carrots, the onions, the beef, and bring that thing up and eat Eat the fat, drink the sweet. Thank you, sir. And, and make sure that you eat good and drink good, and then, then keep the rest that you didn't need for strength because somebody's going to need it next to you, the next hour and the next minute. Give those portions. That's what Isaiah said, right? Amen. So it's a garment. It has to be put on. Wouldn't it be best if we just left it on? Just sleep in it. Sleep in your com- comfortable old T-shirt. So if you begin to rejoice, will you overcome every time? So the flow of joy is strength. So do we want to leave that flow? Leave the faucet on. You don't have to, nope, I know it at the house, we're going to turn the faucet off because it's bad to waste water, right? <laughs> it's not bad to waste spiritual water. Just let the thing run. Let the toilet run. Let the pool pump run. Let the faucet run. Don't turn it off. You might be able to increase it sometimes, but you don't, you don't need to turn, turn the flow off. We want to stay in that flow. Amen? Stand up. And let's, let's take a minute, if you want to. Uh, and, and we're going to practice this. So does it matter how we run? We're going to have to run with joy and an ever-increasing amount of joy. In other words, you can begin to be skillful at it. You can take that little lemon fruit of joy and you can plant that and you can have a, a productive lemon tree. But how about some additional trees? How about we say we want a lemon grove? So we can begin to be skillful. There's, it's one thing to have knowledge. It's another thing to practice knowledge often enough to become skillful. Big difference between someone who knows and someone who's skilled. And so we want to be skillful at it. So whenever we're here, we want to take the opportunity before we leave services that we open our mouth and that, that, that meat that we just had, that meal, it goes inside of us and we practice it immediately. We don't just process it later over lunch or meditate on it. And that's how weeks and months and even years go by. And we go, I remember that sermon. It was really good. I might want to try that sometime. How about we try it right now? So let's close our eyes and let's lift our hands. And I want you in your outdoor voice, because everybody's going to do it together, begin to rejoice. 
practice rejoicing. Father, we just thank you that you are great and greatly to be praised, that you have provided us with all good things to enjoy, Father, that you've given us joy. It's on the inside of us, Father, so we believe that it's there even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, and we take our mouth and we dip down in this well of salvation and we draw out joy so that we might have strength, Father, for every task that's needed. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for providing all of our needs, Father. We're so grateful. We want to demonstrate, Father, our gratitude by responding to every situation around us every day with joy, Father, that the great cloud of witnesses, Father, might be observing what they have the right to observe in us, Father. The price that you paid for us to have this joy is not small, and we highly esteem it, and we honor it, Father, and we worship you, and we rejoice, and we will continue to rejoice no matter what it looks like, no matter what we hear, no matter what we see, Father. We know that victory is ours because you said it is, Father, and your word is good enough. In fact, it's more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. It's our honor to serve you and be part of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to check out our website at lifefamilychurch.net. Have a blessed week, and remember, the best is yet to come.